Church, good to be with you this morning. What a happy, beautiful day it is. And here we are at church, best day of the week. Get to sit under God's word together. I know we prayed, but I need to ask the Lord for help. Um, I want to ask the Lord for help. Would you pray with me for one minute? Father, would you please, as Matthew prayed, you, your word is life. Lord, help us to treasure your word as life in these moments. Holy Spirit, would you please use this needy man to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Make Christ glorious, Holy Spirit. And Father, would you share your love with Kingsway through your word. In your prayer, amen. There was a time in my life where I was a financial aid counselor at an institution uh, for a little bit. It was a fun job. Uh, don't exactly recommend it because all you get, it's just like, it's kind of like um, about any other job, especially an office job, people job. You're going to meet the people that need help. The people that you want to meet are the guys that, and girls that, that fill out the forms online. They're great. And you, never, you never meet them. <laughs> you wish you could, but you only get the persons that need hand-holding, which is wonderful. It's job security. Uh, but when I worked in um, financial aid, I often had two types of persons coming into my office, those that were entitled to, um, you know, this is, this is God's call on my life to go here, so what are you going to do, and how are you going to sacrifice to serve me? The other type of person that I would get are the needy persons, where they are really trying to, to rub pennies together and make four, and um, really struggling, working hard. Two different responses to possessions and to money, self-entitlement and then honest need. Persons who gambled with, financial, uh, with their finances by hedging all their bets on loans being forgiven one day. So they took all, all classes with student loans from undergrad to postgraduate studies. Um, what a hope. We'll see if it pays off. We also had persons who would try to abuse and use military educational benefits and get a little money on the side so they could buy a MacBook or, or be able to take their girlfriend out on a date. Again, possessions were used for self-benefiting and for their purposes. But one dear brother of mine uh, at, this, at this school, at this seminary, he, he worked three jobs. He faithfully served his church. And he faithfully was a full-time student, and he was determined to pay for education as he went. And for this guy, he was barely scraping by, but you wouldn't know because he was determined and resolved to be grateful with much or with little. And one day, I mean, this is how, this is how <laughs> if you're ever in this place, he had a beat-up PT Cruiser that um, just finally gave out, which in one sense we celebrate as a church, but in the other sense... <laughs> It really, it hurt, it hurt this brother as it caused a cascade effect in his life. Because when there's a car bill and there's a school bill and there's a utility bill and then rents due, things start falling. And when you don't have a car, you can imagine the kind of pinch you can be in. And so this brother was distraught because the reality was something had to go and it wasn't going to be the jobs and it wasn't going to be the church and it couldn't be his car. And so it was seminary, which meant that he had to shelf pastoral aspirations for yet another year. This was his last year. And so he goes into the registrar's office to cancel classes, to pull out, 
And of course, tearfully do so because there's so much hinging for this friend of mine. But that office was also shared with financial aid. And little did Adam know as he tearfully was telling the registrar, I think God's telling me I I don't need to pastor this year and that I need to stop my studies in seminary. There was an angel on the other side listening in. How can we use the possessions of our seminary to serve this brother? And so we called him in to the office and we, we were able to, to, to find a grant that served this man in a way that all of his school for his last year of seminary was completely paid for. Not one penny did this boy, this man earn or owe. And you can just, I wish you could have been there in the room to see Adam's face fall to his knees and tears just being grateful, grateful that someone would have pity on his need as he worked, our labors in that office were to supply our brothers and sisters in need. So as we dive into the eighth commandment, do not steal, we again must remember the overarching ethic of the second tablet of the Ten Commandments, to love your neighbor as yourself, to love parents through obedience, to care about life and the lives of others, to care for our marriage and the gift of sex. And now we look to the eternal betterment of others and how we view possessions and work for those possessions. This commandment is striking a chord on one of the ways that sin ravages us and the world. We are prone to advance ourselves like so many of those students. What's in the best interest for me Rather than thinking about the advancement at others, we will advance ourselves at the expense of others rather than advance others at the expense of ourselves. Christopher Wright helpfully says this in his commentary on this verse. Like the sixth commandment, don't murder, then with its wide range of ethical applicability in matters involving human life, the eighth commandment, has a comparably broad relevance to matters of material property and economic institutions, policies, and practices. John John Calvin describes the sixth commandment, the heart behind it is love. And he says, the eighth commandment is charity. So let's look at this text before us. Deuteronomy 5. I'm going to start in verse 1, and then we're going to look at verse 19. These are the words of God kindly addressing us this morning. And Moses summoned all Israel and said to them, Hear, O Israel, the statutes and the rules that I speak to you in your hearing today. And you shall learn them and be careful to do them. And you shall not steal. The main point of today's message is this. The labor of Christ compels us to labor for the benefit of others. The labor of Christ compels us to labor for the benefit of others. Today's outline, three points. The hatefulness of stealing. God works for our good. And lastly, labor to love. So first point, the hatefulness of stealing. Dictionary.com defines stealing as this. To take the property of another or others 
without permission or right, especially in secret or by force. In one sense, you really don't need a pastor behind a pulpit to tell you and define what the action of theft is. We have a concept of this, and it's often because we ourselves have been um, stolen from in some way. I can remember when I was in college, I was leading worship, and I had a cool electric guitar. I had a, a pedal board, and, and pedal board, each one of those little, you know, it's just a pedal. It's just a pedal. But they, they cost hundreds of dollars. And so I had this pedal board, board uh, stolen from me, and I could tell you, after that happened, I could define what theft was. And I could tell you in very lengthy form its effect and why it was bad. And for God's people in Deuteronomy all the way back there, not much has changed. In a context of Deuteronomy, stealing means anything where we take what doesn't belong to us, whether it be possessions, which include money and property. And in this commandment, it also includes persons. So no man stealing. This term encompasses burglary, robbery, confiscation, withholdings, spoils and plunder, fraud, payday lending. Don't do that. Let's pray. I'm just kidding. (laughs) Just like murder and adultery and lying and coveting, stealing is more than just some external program and reform. I heard an interview just the other day of a Jewish man speaking about Christianity and his perspective of the God of Christianity and that of Judaism and its impact on America. And he was very appreciative of Christians teaching America Torah. But very emotionally and passionately, he could not disagree more with our theology of what matters are matters of the heart. To him, adultery is adultery, not lusting after a woman with your heart. That's Torah. Torah is don't steal. Just don't steal. That's Torah. For this individual to be righteous, to be godlike is to from our perspective as Christians, look good. But as Jesus described that Pharisees, about Pharisees, they're whitewashed tombs. This is more than just external. What's the heart of stealing? So starting with the definition of theft that is taking what isn't ours in relation to our possessions, but especially our money, what is at the heart of theft? Stealing is hate. It's hate. It's unloving. It's ungodly in what it imitates and in its motivations. Stealing is hateful because it is the service of self at the expense of someone else. When we take what isn't ours, first off, we didn't work for that. And we're depriving a person of what they worked for or for whom God is called to steward that possession. When we steal, we're saying, my good is greater and more important than theirs. Or in today's culture, this is a popular sentiment, that they have enough, they'll be fine without it. Technically, they stole it first. There's an imbalance of power, and thus I'm entitled to that possession. So whether it be entitlement or the good old-fashioned gimme-gimmies or the I want it because I want it, the sin of stealing is a disgusting hate towards others and your neighbor in an idolatrous love of self. That's That's what stealing is. And stealing in its relationship to God in its sinfulness towards God is to stand against God's very care and blessing towards his creation. 
All good things, as James 1 describes, come from the Father of lights who is above. And you go, no, let me just slip in here and let me take that for my own. In one sense, you try to intercept the grace and the stewardship that isn't yours. Stealing is expanding the borders of your blessed life, the good life that you want, regardless of what God has done for you, regardless of how God has providentially decreed for you what to have. And on top of that, it is completely disregarding your neighbor. Theft in all its forms is a total disregard of others to the benefit of yourself. To say it another way, it is to advance yourself, to gain for yourself at the knowing expense of others, whether taking from them or gaining at their loss and from their loss. John Calvin says this in regard to the same line of thinking. It follows, therefore, that not only are those thieves who secretly steal the property of others, but those also who seek from gain from the loss of others, accumulate wealth by unlawful practices and are more devoted to their private advantage than to equity. So the idea is this, is there any place in your life where you are knowingly advancing your own causes over and against the causes of your neighbor, particularly in relation to your possessions, more specifically your wallet, your money? Not only your personal income, but the income and possession of things that by proxy impact our advancement, our businesses, managerial practices, our clients and customers, our physical neighbors, you name it. This command is more than just a reminder for our children when they're young of, hey, you know, I know you stole the candy bar. You don't know how the world works. We pay for those things. Stealing is alive and well in the way that we do it today Very seriously, it is trickier to see. Stealing is far more easy to justify in America. And in many ways, we're prone to see it as the way things are. It's just a cultural thing. It's good business practices, Caleb. Or it's just the benefits of experience and seniority. Stealing, of course, includes possessions, property, and persons, but unlike Deuteronomy, unlike the Roman and Jewish culture of Jesus, unlike the Middle Ages or America in 1776, today possessions are largely summarized by our wallets. Possessions look in many ways similar, but in many ways different in ages past. There's, there's nothing new under the sun, as we read in Ecclesiastes. It just dresses a little different. It looks a little different. New clothes, same content. But for rich men, For Richmond, Virginia, our income, our wealth, our stock options, the financial freedom we have, a job that not only pays well, but grants freedom and luxury through stock options, health, the benefits of health insurance, perks with the business, and much more. These are the currencies of our possessions. Whether you have much, whether you have little, whether you work or whether you don't work, this commandment is for you, and as Calvin so helpfully helped us, it is more than just taking from someone. It's taking advantage of someone at the knowing expense of them. That's why it's the opposite of love. Remember, all of it points to love. This is hatred. So as we look to what to avoid, Again, we don't need some sanctioned checklist that's been sealed and blessed by the pastoral team of, well, what is, what is theft? We don't need that. 
Each one of you know what this means in one sense. And, and it is the answer to that question of where am I knowingly taking advantage through the material or financial wealth that I have, my possessions, how am I taking advantage of others? But what I want to propose um, today is, you know, for those in the marketplace, this is my particular burden. This is where I see theft, my time in business. This, this is where I saw it and justified in a disgusting way, many ways. Not paying enough for your employees, justifying it because of where the market sits. We got an impending recession, so this is just how much the, this is just how much the position pays. When you know it's wage theft, charging too much for your work. You use vocabulary that's specific to your vertical and field, and you know that your client has no idea what you're talking about, and so you're able to charge 20% more. That's that's theft. That's taking advantage of their naivety and their ignorance. But it's just shrewd business practices. He's just a good salesman. Sleight of hands, especially in verbal commitments. How many of us have had a contractor come to our house and they say, oh yeah, it'll just be this much. And then after they do the service, they give you that invoice. And uh, <laughs> uh, babe, we got to talk. Uh, how much money we have in the checking? Because this is the thing. They've already done the service. So where, where are you going to go from there? That's theft. I'm being very light and fuzzy in my verbal commitments, but when that invoice comes, I'm ruthless from my bottom line. Salesmen stealing clients from weaker salesmen. Any salesman in the room knows that feeling. It hurts. You know, we're, we're just, it's just for the sake of the client. I'm just looking out, for, looking out for them. I want to love my neighbor at the expense of my neighbor. HR departments that send recruiters out to ensure someone's not paid a penny more than they need to pay for that position. That, that recruiter's had that conversation 10,000 times. You think your experience is going to help you? Or businesses letting persons go uh, so they don't have to pay their commission. The list goes on. One thing that these all have in common is persons looking out for their own self-interest at the expense of others. In American business practices, this is always thrown in the category of common sense or smart business. But how does a citizen of the kingdom of heaven treat others in relationship to money and to possessions? What is the thief to do instead of stealing? Paul says in Ephesians 4, 28, give the thief, of, he gives him a specific response in light of the mercy of God. And he tells him rather than to steal, to work. And to do so to help those in need. The heart, behind, the heart behind the thief working is the character of God. Remember, we're not looking just to, hey, don't, don't do this so that you can just do this. Don't just steal. That's all that Torah is requiring. Just don't steal and just work. It's far deeper than that. The character of God is here. The, Aslan is on the move. <laughs> the heart behind this is the vocation and character of God. We work rather than steal because it testifies to the greatness and the goodness of God. That's what Christ is like, and we are called as Christians to be Christ-like. We're called to godliness. What is the quality of God? May we be like him. The pattern of each commandment we study is a prohibition that finds a happy fulfillment, a happy fulfillment in the person and the work of Christ, that the heart of Torah is the heart of God, and the heart of God 
is the face of Christ, who is the fulfillment of the law. Which brings us to point two. God works for our good. For many of us, we see God as existing, not so much working. But have you ever thought about God working? That, 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 that God is not merely a name, but a title of description? And when you look at scripture, there's three different jobs that I want to highlight of God. The Lord of life. His vocation of creation. Providence. And redemption. So if we look at Genesis 1, when God created the world, we see God's work of creation. To make the world in six literal days, and on the seventh day he rested. Work originates in God. Work originates in God. God didn't just make up something to do it. Oh man, don't steal. What should we do? What should we do? Uh, make him work. Make him work. No, no. God, God calls us not to steal so that we might imitate him, the God of work. He works. And what's the word that's used over and over again in Genesis 1 regarding the work of God's hands? Good. It's good. And when it came to man, very good. Working hard and being excellent, making something beautiful and aesthetically pleasing originates in the goodness of our creator. But God didn't just stop with creation. On the seventh day, he rested. And the idea behind that is that he switched vocations from creating to sustaining. What we're talking about here is the doctrine of providence, the miraculous, meticulous governance of God over all things, all things. As some of you guys know, I, I just started beekeeping this year. And given the doctrine of providence, I've got this box of like 10,000 bees in my backyard. And they're flying out like crazy with this weather. Under our belief of the doctrine of providence, not one, not one leaves that hive apart from the decree of God working in creation. That is how sovereign our God is. God's vocation is to oversee every detail of created order from the affairs of the honeybee to the salvation of souls in Midlothian, Virginia, Namibia, to the future salvation of souls in this room, to the salvation of our children, Lord willing, Lord willing. That phrase summarizes the doctrine of providence, Lord willing. We don't believe in good luck. We believe in good providence. Don't, don't go, if someone says good luck, don't correct them. You know, it's good providence, Caleb said. No, you, you can say it. We know, we know what you meant. You meant good providence. Gold star. God's third vocation, so we see creation, we see providence, but God's third vocation is that of redemption, creating spiritual life out of nothing. John's gospel Chapter 1 picks up on this, and he contrasts it to God's work of creation. Genesis 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word. In Genesis, God created the world out of nothing, ex nihilo, out of nothing. It wasn't like a mound of dirt. Hey, give me angels, give me something to work with. I'll make something beautiful. There was nothing. There was no time, matter, space. There was nothing. And God made something good and beautiful, something 
flowing with life. And in John, Christ came to give spiritual life out of nothing that you and I offered. There wasn't some tinge of merit. I just need, I just need something to work with and I can save that person. Like creation, Christ creates spiritual life. Actually, not only out of nothing, but out of deficit. We come with sin. The only thing that we bring to the table is the sin that required salvation to begin with. And this, this third labor of God is the joyous news of the gospel that we enjoy at this church. The good news is that from nothing and out of our deficiency, Christ came and did a work, a labor, a vocation to save a people. He didn't steal you from sin. Oh man, let me just pull you out of the way. No, he paid for you. He worked for you. He worked where you lacked work. He worked and we are the beneficiaries of God's charity. He labored in the wilderness to prove faithful where we are not. He worked to heal the sick. He labored to be with those who were far off. Christ labored to teach us what the kingdom of heaven was like. In the summation of his excellent and good labor of redemption was that he died for sin. That we and that he would be awarded the possession of us. Christ's vocation was the mission decreed by the Holy Trinity in all of eternity. The goodness and the vocation, the goodness of vocation and the goodness of possessions are chiefly seen in the vocation of Christ to possess a people for his own name. First Peter 2, 9 through 11 but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. God doesn't steal. God worked. God paid. God possessed. God was charitable. God was gracious. That's why when we talk about theft and now we're talking about work, we're talking about charity, how does it all connect? It all centers on Christ. Church, discouraged Christian. Look at that. Well, don't look at that. <laughs> I want you to behold the God who worked to possess you. The blessed state that you have is far grander than any classes paid for. It's greater than anything you can steal or some financial plan to get out of debt. God paid for your sins. He worked excellently to the end to accomplish salvation, to possess you. But we don't just stop at God working. And it's not just that God has a vocation. I want us to look specifically at the charity of God. He didn't just save good people in this room. He saved sinners God's vocation has an explicit purpose of charity. It isn't that God just works and he pays for possessions, though that is wonderful. Notice the charity of God's work. He works to save sinners. He labors for those who are weak in sin. He possesses a fragile and needy people. He does not save those that benefit him. How often is that our case? When we work, I work to benefit my client because they're gonna pay me. 
God, God works to benefit for his namesake, but we're definitely the party that is receiving the charity, the perfect obedience of the son and on his labor on the cross to pay the debt of sin was not for the righteous, but for the sinner. And as we ponder why we don't steal, we just have to look at God who is ordained for us to work for possessions rather than to take possessions. As Paul says in Romans 5, 6, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. Notice the charity and the vocation of God in this, which brings us to the third observation, not the third point, third observation about God's good work for us, the sacrificial nature of God's charitable work. He works excellently. He is charitable to sinners. But notice that it's not at the expense of others, but at the expense of himself that he works. The work of redemption falls nothing short of the willful giving of the Son and of his loving sacrifice for sin. John 3.16, the most famous verse in all the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Notice the work of God. Notice the charity of God. Notice the sacrifice of God. Brothers and sisters, to get at the heart of the eight commandment, our endeavors of holiness, they must begin with the all-satisfying worth of God's vocation, God's possession of us, and God's all-sufficient sacrifice in the person and work of Jesus. Congratulations if you tithe. There's not, you know, it's not, a, this isn't a financial wellness program. This is God has been merciful to me and Jesus Christ. What now should I do? What must I do? I've, I've lived my life in sin, expense of others to benefit myself, but seeing how God sacrificially gave everything to work and to be charitable and generous to me, how can I, how can I benefit others even at the expense of myself? Even at the expense of myself. What further advancement do you need in this life, Christian? Our God works for us and for our good in Christ. No harm needs to come to your neighbor for our advancement. All harm was placed on Christ so that we might have eternal life. Christ's blood was spilt so that as Ephesians 1.3 describes, all heavenly blessings, spiritual blessings might be yours. And for those that are striving in this life for some form of hope apart from Jesus in this room, looking out for number one, not caring who they hurt in the process, God worked in Christ, just as John 3.16 says, so that you might receive the offer of life everlasting. Whosoever believes could be you this morning. Don't wait till tomorrow. Trade your hate Trade your pride for the love of God in Christ, the excellent work of God. The last person that Jesus ministered to on the cross was a thief. And on that day, he joined his maker in paradise. No sin casts you too far from this free offer of salvation but what an encouragement this is even apart from the eighth commandment. Anyone, 
Anyone weary this morning? Tired in your labors? And their efforts are coming, coming with fresh need. Maybe you're wondering where God's mercy is. Look only at what God has worked excellently to do for you in Christ. Christian, he possesses you. Behold the excellent labor of God. It was excellent. His sovereignty has no rival. And his mercy and grace and love are declared in the finished work on the cross. What comfort we have this morning and what joy, what joy we can find in all circumstances in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That there's no greater comfort in this life or in the news of death. No persevering hope that can hold a candle to that wonderful finished work of Jesus Christ who died for my sin and sealed me with his Holy Spirit. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound of it. So as we have looked at the vocation of God and of his charitable, sacrificial work for us, what now? Turn with me to Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, verse 28. Point three, labor to love. We've looked at God's good labor for us. Now let us look to our good labor for others, our labor of love to others. Paul says this in Ephesians 4, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So let's just look at that first part up to the, up to the comma. Let the, well, the second, nope, never mind. There's a lot of commas. Scratch that. Up to hands. All right, so let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands. Notice that the vice of stealing is told to be combated with the virtue of working. All right? So they're not merely told to stop out of need or out of want. We're told to labor and to work. And I also want you to note that Paul's first words on this aren't to justify the theft or saying, hey, this guy's been stealing. He's got a lot of need. He's in a tough place. Church, step in and, and be charitable to him. His first words to theft in view of the mercy of God is to the personal responsibility and action of the thief himself. Of course, there's plenty to say about the church being charitable. All of point two in view of the mercy of God, we are charitable to others. But note with me, when, if you are a theft, Paul's encouragement in light of God's mercy is to work. Not because work is bad, because work is good. The goodness of work can be seen in Genesis 2. Genesis 2.15 says this, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. So note, note that there's, there, he, there is, a, this is what we call an action purpose. So what was the action? God took the man. What was the reason? What was the purpose? To work and to keep it. And brothers and sisters, Genesis 1 and 2 show God's ideal in the Garden of Eden. Genesis 3 is when sin comes in. So this is God's ideal, is that we would work, the goodness of work, which is why we'll be working in heaven. The, the new heavens and new earth that we will be enjoying is a, a world 
a new world without the stain of sin, without thorns and thistles, we will be working to the glory of God. But that also informs not only heaven, but today. We glorify and worship God as Christians when we work. We don't just stop worshiping at 1145, Lord willing. We, when we work an honorable job as Christians, faithfully trusting the Lord with our labors, we are worshiping. An application is to work for the glory of God. If you are lazy and slothful, Christian, wake up and work, for God has designed you to do so. Glorify God in the fruits of your labor. So children, when your dad talks to you about working hard, in one sense, he's telling you to be more Christ-like, working with excellence. Plowing the field with your hand is a way that we can imitate Christ if done by faith. For those that are discouraged in your employment, this is your encouragement. This is your encouragement. There is dignity in your job because you're doing what your creator called you to do. There's a far greater purpose than any manager could like cliche and create some kind of hype, whatever. We've all been there. That, that isn't what gets us out of bed. We get out of bed because we are imitating God. We're doing what we're called to do. But we also see that the Bible speaks well of work and of possessions, It's good that we have possessions or personal property. Look at the stories of Abraham uh, and Abraham's wealth. Job at the end of his suffering. King David and Solomon of Lydia in Acts 16. The, the, The list goes on. It's not bad to get a fat paycheck from work. That's the good fruits of working hard. Working's great. Possessions are great. And in the early church, many glorified this aesthetic lifestyle that you just need to like give away all possessions. It was well intended, um, but that they correlated this idea of spiritual vibrancy with being poor and having nothing, which makes sense because they were fighting a heresy called Gnosticism, which believed that the physical was bad and the spiritual was good. But it wasn't until we got to the Reformation when we started retrieving a little bit better biblical Uh, understanding of wealth and possessions, which go figure when one of the solas is by the authority of God's word alone. When people read and treasure the Bible, lives change. Uh, Herman Bovink, in commenting on the Reformation's retrieval of this idea, he says this, the Reformation restored the rights of the natural. Luther sees something good in eating and drinking, not talking about grape juice here, wealth and so on, Wealth, intelligence, and beauty are gifts of God. And so Bavink goes on to say, so that's Luther. What does Calvin say? Calvin says that there's two errors that must be avoided in regard to our possessions, our wealth. On the one hand, allowing earthly possessions only for necessities, but on the other hand, a luxurious lifestyle. The basic rule is property, and I want you to put money instead of property, must be used for the purpose for which God created it. Thus, not merely alleviating merely for alleviating want, but also making life more pleasant. Both poverty and wealth come with grave dangers. The Bible teaches the goodness of possessions, the fruits of good work. And our culture would say that possessions speak to power imbalances or that you have to have a good reason for what you owe or that personal property is a sin. We must find the Christian balance of this, but we must start with scripture and scripture shouts work is excellent and possessions are good but we don't the period's not there that's where we can get in trouble why do we work and possess let's look at the second half of Ephesians 4:28 
so that. Here, uh-oh, here's another purpose, action purpose. God calls the thief not to, not to, to steal, but to work. For what reason, for what purpose are you to accrue possessions and to work hard? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. So rather than advantaging ourselves, which is what stealing is, for our own gain, to satisfy our own need and our own appetites, we are to work for the explicit scriptural purpose of meeting the needs of others to the disadvantage of ourselves. We're stealing advantages self at the disadvantage of others. In Christ, we ought to disadvantage ourselves in light of the mercy of God to the benefit of others. Look at how God worked, was charitable and sacrificial in our need. And dear brother, dear brother and sister, may we be hard workers and possessors of many, many things for the sake of being charitable to our neighbor. I had a dear brother from a previous church member. We were all members, and we sent out a missionary. Um, and, and, and this missionary asked for $500 worth of books for a library in his region of, of Africa. Uh, not Josh Jr., different, different missionary. Um, and, and so a list of books, about $500 worth, that he wanted for his church and local pastors to be able to have good biblical resources. And this brother had $502 in his bank account. And he wasn't talking about it. We were just hanging around a fire and we were going to go get tacos or something. And um, he's like, I can't, I can't go. He's like, oh, come on, man. Like, let, let's go. Tacos are awesome. We all love tacos. Like, get with the program. And, and he's like, I, I can't do it. And anyways, come to find out that he had spent almost every dollar he had to bless this brother in need. And this was the exact sentiment, Ephesians 4, of why he did it. I was given this money to bless someone in need. You don't have to make six figures to bless people and to be generous. You don't have to, okay, well, hey, when, I get, when, we, when I'm stable in my job, then I'll be generous. Generosity has many faces, has many, many faces. And this brother taught me a lesson that being captivated by the work and sacrifice of God, if we, if we get point two, if we get that God works for our good, Charity has a whole new face. It's no longer, all right, what's the checklist for a Christian? Okay, 10%, okay, check that. Um, I, will, I will give, I'll donate to the food pantry and, and do this. No, in light of the good, excellent work and possession of the church and the charitable, sacrificial sacrifice of Jesus Christ, how? How can I love my neighbor in charity? And, and Kingsway, you, you did this. This was, this, I, as I'm preparing this, all I could think about was you. My beloved church that is Buffington got up here and talked about the Crisis Pregnancy Center. We, we raised over $5,000, $5,000. That wasn't like, like we pulled it out of a bank account. You gave sacrificially. You worked hard. You possessed much. And you gave to those in need. I want to commend you for the excellencies of your faith and obedience to the heart of Ephesians 4. Because that's the heart behind it. Work hard, make much, accrue possessions so that you might bless others in need. So when you see a need, meet a need. Don't just pray for it. You know, I think that's one temptation. I'll pray for you, brother. Having roast beef in my heart with you. Hope, hope you get better. Work hard in your career. Anticipate the day 
when there is a need that you can meet with excellence. Be excellent in vocation so that you might be excellent, excellent in charity. For young adults, maybe you don't have a lot of money. I can tell you my friend in Louisville that gave $500, he did not make a lot of money. You're not excluded from this. But what you do also have is time. Are you anticipating the needs of others through the time that you're allotted and that you have serving others with your time? Tithing your time is an excellent way for you to apply this. When someone says that they're struggling or have a financial need in your community group, again, is your first request just a mere praying for you? What does scripture say? You know, let me just, Jesus is better. Is it just that? Of course, give them the bread of life, but give them bread. Give them bread as well. So as we go to community group this week, I want to challenge you to look out. And church, as you have been doing excellently, continue to look out for those in need so that you might work, so that you might possess, so that you might be charitable, so that you might imitate the love of Christ. Behold the God who labored in love to hold you as his dear possession. That's the whole grounding of this commandment. And take care not to advantage yourself at the expense of others. Work hard to glorify God and work much to love others.